0: Hey crack fans! stays tacky longer than any other grip you'll find out there and if you tell your opponent what do I use on my racket I use the mega tack you're going to be attacking with that mega tack from start to finish if you've seen anything we do at crack rackets you know I'm a hairy guy as you can imagine I sweat when I play the only grip that works for me is the turna tennis grip of course the mega tack taking things to the next level how can you get yourself hooked up with a turna grip today it's simple you're going to either find it wherever you buy your tennis goods, about the mega tack, the tackiest grip on the market, contact sales at UniqueSports.com and get started with our friends at Turn of to Tennis today. Welcome to, hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. It's the podcast you all have been waiting for. Of course, there was so much exciting action that unfolded over the past two weeks in Champaign. We know who our 2022 Division I College Tennis National Champions are, whether it be from the team perspective or, of course, the four individual champions we crowned in Champaign. And while the tennis was certainly the focus of our attention in champagne there were so many takeaways from being at the event and of course i was so privileged to be on the broadcast for both the team and individual finals that would not have happened without the support we've gotten from all of you whether it be coaches players listeners of this show who continue to tune in week in week out who continue for some reason to tolerate all of my nonsense i can put on the short list my parents my brothers and you listeners who continue to tune in week in week out i I appreciate your uh, love for what we're doing here at Crack Rackets. Again, I am well aware the opportunities I've had would not have happened without all of you. So we'll start out with a little groveling and a big thank you, as always, to all of you listeners. But with that said, it's time to put a final bow on the 2022 college tennis season. And will we inevitably talk about 2022 more throughout the course of this summer? Of course we will. But what we wanted to do here at Cracked Rackets, one final podcast offering all of our takeaways from Champagne, whether it be the action we saw unfold on the court, the action we saw unfold off of it as well. There is so much for us to discuss. And if we're going to talk about all of that, it will probably help my memory. It will help this podcast to have some other people People who are on the grounds to experience it all as well. And joining us on the podcast are two people who I was fortunate enough to get to spend so much time with in Champagne. are probably expecting me to start this conversation, disappear for an hour and a half, and then come back as if the conversation never finished. But I'm going to stick with them for the course of the next hour and no longer. Uh, two other members joining us on our podcast, one of them, a voice you will all be quite familiar with, as he helps spearhead all of our college tennis his coverage throughout the course of the season helped me recap all the team action in Champagne. the co-host of our women's episodes of The Deciding Point. Of course, your co-favorite writer on our website, CrackRackets.com, founder of the No Ad No Problem blog, bulletin board material provider, apparently for multiple teams across the country as well. That resume just gets longer and longer. Of course, you know him best as our friend, John J. Parsons. J. Hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. Have you recovered from two weeks of Midwest weather? <laughs> <laughs> um I've I've had my
1: fill. That's for sure. Um, I've had enough wind to last me a lifetime. Um, but no, it was a great week plus in champagne. Um, and I'm excited to recap it. It feels like we've digested it a little bit, right? We're not doing it like right after. So I think we have some some
0: good takes. Now you know why I have to wear a hat. Those 20 mile per hour winds, not good for the <laughs> scalp. So yeah, that's why it's all- got to protect hidden those hidden. remaining hairs. Yeah, exactly. The fall. Follicles are few and far between, so I got to be very precious commodities. I joke around now, towels are thieves, so when you use them post-shower, they're just stealing all of your follicles you have left. With that said, I was going to say the queen of follicles, but that just sounds stupid. Another person joining us here on our Cracked Rackets podcast, who we are, of course, always honored to have on the show, someone you all know best as the GOAT, of course, founder of zoo tennis a someday nominee in the college tennis hall of fame let's make it happen already of course you also know her as our friend colette lewis colette hey great shot welcome back to the show you may not have missed me 72 hours without you was a long time for me i have separation anxiety it's great to have you back how are you doing my friend
2: I'm doing great. And it was awesome to to meet John in person after I felt like I knew him from all the deciding points <laughs> that I never missed or almost never missed. But um, it was great to talk to him in person. So, yeah. And of course, you as well, Alex. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I appreciate you saying that. Let's be clear you know, husband was third in the Champagne Power Rankings and most enjoyable to talk to, as long as that's clear cut. And by (laughs) the way, I love, shout out to Brad Dancer, Illinois staff who provided the food, the water, kept, you know, treated us well and allowed us to be able to stay there for the course of the two weeks. If I never have to eat Portillo's again, I think I'm okay with it. That would be just my only takeaway uh, from that aspect. But something you are uniquely suited to answer here, Colette, did anyone have a higher Q rating on the grounds in Champagne than Jay? Like, I think every coach, I think there's, <laughs> you know, they would come up and say hello to you and I, because, I mean, for you, they got to kiss the ring. For me, they're like, all right, let me get five minutes of whatever. Uh, but I just feel, I felt like Jay was the most engaged person on the ground.
2: Yeah, that could very well be. I, I would not dispute that.
0: Yeah, I think it goes him one, probably Laura Sunday of tennis one two because she was just getting clips for everything and then you know again once again probably husband distant third um but no it's great to have both of you on the show i'll say it here because i know they'll never listen this is the new holy trinity out matt and chris in Colette and jay just so (laughs) they know their jobs permanently in jeopardy although shout out to chris who he and i i guess i'll sneak in this announcement here on this podcast is a good place to do it a show we're going to do throughout the course of the summer and jay you didn't know this yet, but congratulations, you'll be contributing as we're going to follow all of these college players throughout the course of the summer, how they're doing on the pro circuit. Chris's website, collegetennisranks.com, a fantastic platform to see all of those current former collegiate players with ATP points and where they're at in both the singles and doubles rankings. We want to expand on that resource since we have the ability to do so. Uh, so be on the lookout for more college tennis content over the course of the next few months. Yes, the season stops, uh, but technically you have the summer circuit everyone's playing on the pro tour murphy cassone's making challenger quarterfinals which (laughs) i guess let's do that quickly since there's the breaking news to start the show i'll start with you jay did you you're our west coast guy did you see that happening Uh,
1: not this quickly right and he certainly had a phenomenal end to the season Uh, it was a high quality match he played against botzel in the ncaa individual tournament but no, I, I didn't have it on my bingo card for him to make the quarterfinal of a challenger right out of the gates. But look, I mean, that's just a testament to the level of play that we saw in Champaign and that you see consistently at the highest levels of college tennis. I mean, these guys and gals can go out there and compete with the best on the the challenger tour. And so Casone is just one name of many who I'm sure we'll see make uh, make inroads this summer.
0: To beat Michael Moe, extraordinarily impressive. To beat Uchida, extraordinarily impressive. How well he served has been the big thing for me. And it's funny, the distinctive image for me of this season for him, and I feel bad that this was my one exposure. Let me preface it. He's going to be your Pac-12 freshman of the year, or he was, excuse me, deservedly so. Pretty much only lost to Distanich, Ferry, that's it. Um... He tomahawked his racket after that Votel match, Colette. We were standing next to each other when it happened, and to your point, Jay, that was an intense match for a freshman to do that against a top-ten player in the country. You know the pedigree better than anyone, Colette. Is this an unexpected development in the developmental curve? Like, did we see this eventually in his future?
2: Um, I didn't. I, I barely knew who he was as a junior. I, I saw him a couple of times, but he was one of those players that unfortunately didn't get to play as last year at Kalamazoo. I expect that I, that we would have seen him and he would have, um, you know, shown some flashes in 2020 of what he was going to be to become. But since we didn't have that tournament, he and his birthday's in August. He couldn't play last year, so. But no, I did not see this coming and yes, it's extremely unusual to yeah. to go from losing the first round to the quarterfinals of a 100 challenger.
0: I once thank uh, I want I mean, is this true? Maybe not. I didn't say it like, thanks for getting frisky, but I once said, thank you for having me in October, parents, because you gave me a great tennis birthday. I was like, if I would have been good, I would have had the opportunity to be fantastic. Now I wasn't, but if I was, I would have had that opportunity. And so yeah, tough birthday. Obviously that happens. But with all that said, I've used up nine of my minutes here, getting us warmed up, ready to go. Obviously we have an outline, a list of categories, things we want to discuss again, matches and players who stood out, things we're hearing, and things to look towards as we head towards another exciting offseason in the college tennis world. Always worth noting, Jay talked about the depth, and we'll get into the quality of play as a broader theme from our takeaways in Champaign, but worth noting as we go to the offseason, five years of high school graduates, still a thing in college tennis. We have two more years to go with that extra year of COVID eligibility. You will see transfers. We already see Broncatelli, Kozlov, Hunter on their way to Tennessee. Now, you can never replace an Adam Walton, you can come pretty damn close. And again, to see those three transfers, quality players, going into the Tennessee program. We already know they'll be right back as a factor at the top of college tennis next season. So plenty of things to look out for. That said, let's put a bow on 2022. Of course, the reason we're able to do that here on the Great Shot Podcast. Oh, you thought I forgot. I did not, is because of the support we get from our friends at Turner. They've been supporting tennis players for years. I would argue, even back when Billy Martin won his Kalamazoo titles, he might've been using Turner grip on his rackets. Colette, you've definitely got the photos. You can fact check us there, the point being, if you go uh, and trust our friends with Turner, you will not be disappointed. You can learn more about the Turner team by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned we sent you, they hook you up with free samples, discounted prices, treat you like family. Email sales at uniquesports.com to join the Turner family today. With all of that said, let's get into it and let's start with the obvious question. Did the right teams win the NCAA team titles in Champaign? And I think the place we have to start, all due respect, we like to go women's first here on our Crack Rackets podcast. I was raised to believe in chivalry. That said, this question probably starts on the men's side. You look at a Virginia team, only five losses, and those five losses all came before the start of conference play in March. That said, their five losses were all to teams that ended up reaching the NCAA quarterfinals. And, you know, again, there is no denying, if you were there, Virginia got hot. They were the team that was healthy. Everyone seemed to be playing close to, if not their best, tennis. I mean, Virginia was going to beat Tennessee 7-0. In their semifinal, they beat Florida 4-1 in the quarterfinals and ultimately a shutout victory 4-0. That was about to be 5-0 as well as Ryan Getz had match points at the number four singles position. I'll start with you, Jay. Did the right team win the men's title?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it's pretty hard to say anything other than that, given how dominant Virginia looked in the semi and the finals, right? You just talked about those scores. I mean, those were going to be, I mean, that final was not close at all. That semifinal was not going to be close. Um, Look, I I really think at the end of the day, the winner came out of that Virginia-Florida match. Ultimately, Virginia was the winner of that match. and, And therefore, they kind of ran away with the title there in the final two
0: matches. So let me play devil's advocate. Sam Riff is up 5-2 on Montes at the number two singles position. Virginia had already taken doubles, but he's up 5-2. Duarte, I believe, took the first set over von der Schulenberg. You know, again, Florida has momentum at the two and three spots. Shelton's still where he was at one, but Andrade played maybe the best match of any individual in Champagne at that number four spot. They had momentum on singles courts before the rain came and they were pushed into a delay and ultimately they wait until the courts dry up. And from that moment, Iñaki Montez channeled an energy that he kept throughout the course of the 2022 team event. That said, Colette, it's not an asterisk, but it's definitely a footnote. Like Sam Riffis was up 5-2. He was looking good. Again, I am not taking away anything from Virginia. There is no doubt they played a complete match. They took that doubles point. You know, uh, Rodesh takes that second set against Ben Shelton. Goodyear and Botzer are battling in the third set as well. There's a world where Virginia wins that match 6-1 as well. At the same time, it is a footnote. Like, Florida had built some momentum before the rain came.
2: Yeah, um, but they didn't win and I, <laughs> I i do think that that virginia deserved it i mean they they played better and yeah. um i agree with with john that once uh, once they had that win it, it was pretty clear sailing for them i mean you never know until it actually happens but i um th- that was probably the most competitive match we were going to see in the men's side
0: so seeing it as we did i asked you guys this a bunch of times while we were on the grounds if you play the action in champagne 10 times i think virginia comes out probably two or three titles I still think Florida comes out with three or four. Like, I do think if you play it 10 times and the weather changes in all of them, I still think we see a world— Like, again, We and we talked about this afterwards, Jay. Who was the second-best team? I do think it was Florida. Like, they absolutely came close to beating Virginia. Valle, third set with Von der Schulenberg, Botzer, Goodyear, third set. Shelton, uh, Rodesh, third set. And then, again, Riffus was up 5-2. Florida was Florida was the only team that was as good as Virginia.
1: Yeah, I mean a, a few points to make for the people listening. I mean, one Florida decided to stay outdoors. True, Florida could have continued the momentum that they had built and gone indoors.
0: Very true. And it was
1: also notable, notable to see the Florida players hanging out watching the Michigan Ohio State matches and Virginia was nowhere to be seen. Right? So I, I I don't think it's an asterisk. I don't think it's a footnote. Um I do not think we'll look back and think, man, had had they gone indoors immediately or had they they stayed, they would have carried that momentum. And I think you're a little low on how many titles Virginia would have captured. If you play that 10 times, I think it's over five. I think Virginia was, was, was one of the, was the strongest team there. And I think Florida was the clear number two. And I think that played out in the results that we saw in Virginia semis and
0: finals. I agree with you that no one came as close as Florida to beating Virginia Colette. You'll get the final word on this.
2: Um, <laughs> yeah. I I I'll see my time for in. Uh, no thanks.
0: No. Uh, here's what I'll say. There's no crime in a footnote. And I'm just saying when we look back at the 2022 men's tournament, what's the match we're going to remember? We'll talk about the super regionals. I'm sure the top eight seeds going eight and zero, and then it's a seven versus eight final because that's obviously a takeaway. Um, but. I think the match we'll remember most is that Virginia, I mean, for me, when I look back at it, will be, well, Virginia-Florida had delays, and I just always wonder if that match didn't have delays, how it goes. That said, again, I'm not trying to take anything away from Virginia. They were dominant down the home stretch. One last conversation we should have before we move on to the women's. Indoors, in the Midwest, you win the doubles point, you're playing a team you beat 4-0 and drop one set to. (sighs) It's a brutal loss for Ohio State Collette like it really is everything was lined up for them to capture this title again going into that semifinals they had beaten every team in the draw four0.
2: yeah I was really shocked by that that one um I just i I just couldn't see um how they could lose in, in at the top 4. I, I just could not see how they could get swept in the top 4 after they won the doubles points. So, yeah, that was a huge shocker to me.
0: Was that the most surprising men's result, Jay, of the of the Time and Champagne team event?
1: Yeah, I would say so. Yeah.
0: I in JJ and Tracy just- moving specifically
1: yeah, it's not just the result, but also the manner in which they lost. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. It's just, again, they might have lost six. I mean, they were about to lose 5-1, up 5-0 in the third. And again, mm-hmm. indoors, Midwest, against teams you faced, it, it was, it was again, Draxel versus Kingsley, outstanding match. It was tough. It, it, when JJ lost that match, it definitely sent a vibe in the building. And so that's one that will stick with me. With that said, let's talk about the women's side. We said it on our episodes at the Deciding Point, proudly plugged by Colette Lewis at the start of this podcast, that certainly Texas was coming into Champaign in as good a form as any team in the country. They hit another gear, uh, without a doubt in Champagne, and you look at the victories they earned again they had to do it the hard way they beat Virginia 4-2 they beat UNC 4-2 they play a team in Oklahoma who had already played them three times who were two and one against them in the head-to-head and they beat them as well 4-0 and probably uh, 4-1 excuse me and probably their best performance of the team event he- the question I would post you I'm not even going to play around with it Jay Pepperdine Outdoors against North Carolina that would be the footnote for me on the women's side, is if that match is outdoors, does Pepperdine beat North Carolina? Can Redelick beat Yarlagata at six? She had started to build all of this momentum. Uh, and with that additional footnote in mind, again, this Pepperdine team was clearly clicking, heading into Champaign. Give them that quarterfinal victory under their belts. What does that match look like against Texas? I mean, that uh, you could put the biggest footnote of them all. Sorry, Coach Cohen, because I know you'll hear this, is what if Chance is there? and then it's a completely different Oklahoma team. But that's not a footnote. That decision was made as she came to college. That, to me, is the one. Like, that's the only question I would have coming out of it because other than that, the Texas freshmen, by the end of the season, were not freshmen. They were just outstanding college tennis players.
1: Yeah, I think the Pepperdine indoors is a much bigger footnote than the delay <laughs> in the Florida Virginia match. Uh I think that significantly favors North Carolina. And I'd also add, you know, the injury for, from Patch Galeva, right? Sure. Those were two massive hits uh to Pepperdine, who was clearly playing incredible tennis coming into this tournament. Um, so that one, yeah, is absolutely a footnote and absolutely favored North Carolina and they took advantage of it to advance to the semis. That's a- it the right team win. Yeah, I mean, look, that was the toughest half of the draw, right? And Texas came out, uh they played excellent. They had a clear calculus throughout the tournament. Um so it's always tough to say that the right team didn't win. Um I'll never say that. So Texas looked good and they won the event.
2: Was
0: Texas men the right team to win in 2019? I'll say no. It should have been Wake Forest, or it should have been Florida. And that's a discussion for a different time. Sorry, Bruce Burke, you know I love you. Um, but that's a conversation for a different time. The other footnote we have to add, Makarova cruising against Corley. What if she doesn't roll her ankle? Then that other half of the draw may look completely different, because Texas A&M, after dropping that doubles point, was about to find five first sets in singles and was looking awfully good on, all, uh, on a bunch of those courts. I mean... At the same time, Colette, seeing the growth of this Texas team, they were just a different level. I they I know this is so stupid to say, and I've only been to three NCAA championships, but in my mind, that's what a team should look like as you go through the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals is that toughest match, the one where, you know, the nerves creep in and you know things get tough, is the semifinal match, which I think that North Carolina match was, even though Collins is up big on Scotty in the third win, uh, the clinch ultimately happens. That five North Carolina was right there with them. By the final, they just again watching those freshmen up and down the lineup, Texas was so outstanding. What were your final takeaways from the women's team event?
2: Yeah, I thought I thought Texas was really, really good. And I hadn't any idea before I went how many injuries and obstacles they overcame, some of which apparently were were you know, just team chemistry as much as is all the injuries they had. So uh to see a team like that come together like they did and just um yeah they were just so so impressive it it was it was really um really a great win and I you know I, I'll say this a million times but winning one is so so hard. Ask as we know you know ohio state ask north carolina it's really really hard to win two is just mind boggling
0: yeah and you look on the women's side stanford florida texas that's it three programs in history have won back-to-back titles in ncaa women's tennis absolutely and again you know shavatapan collins Stearns. sure the Three of the core returned, but it was three freshmen by the end. And in particular, in doubles, it was the freshmen that really powered them through. Of course, Shavataban and Collins at two is a joke, but the fact that they're able to play a freshman with Stearns at one and feel good with playing around at that number three spot as well. Yeah, they were exceptional. Again, Oklahoma's fight for them to go 4-3, 4-3 and make that push in the women's final like they did in the second sets, whether it's the Corleys or just, again, Guzman, just everywhere they were fighting. That's one of those NCAA tournaments you remember where the level was outstanding, where I think if we play it 10 times, I think we end up with different champions each of the time. And now Texas, I think wins a plurality, but I don't think a majority of the titles. I think there were other schools that were that good that under certain circumstances, I would have loved to see, uh, Any permutation of the NCAA finals. With that said, let's get into some of the superlatives. Let's have some fun. Let's talk about, again, the standout players, the things we would have liked to see, the things we may have overheard. Let's get into some of our individual topics here. Let's start with the individuals as well. Ultimately, by the way, and we can work in our summary here women's singles champion Peyton Stearns. Let's start there. Obviously, Navarro losing in three sets to Ranchelli. Ranchelli, right? Not Rejacki. She lost to Ranchelli in three was the surprise result of, of the women's singles draw. And I don't think any of us saw that one coming. That said, to watch Peyton Stearns in the final after playing 10 matches, eleven, or I think it was that was her 15th match in her time in Champaign between singles and doubles, her 15th total match in Champaign, to see her do that, to Connie Ma, to see the way she broke down Lane Sleeth in that NCAA women's singles final as well. Again, perspective being key, the last player to win both the team event and the singles title was Nicole Gibbs, 2013, in Champagne. Shout out to Champagne, Magic in the air. Maybe we should keep playing it there. She, like anyone you talk to, yeah, Navarro beat her 1-0, and that's a footnote for us to always discuss uh, right. when we look back at this season. But, Colette, the the consensus seemed to be, and again, I'm curious uh, your feelings on her. It just feels like the, the, the forehand is ready for the WTA Tour. It's a weapon. The way she moves, the way she competes, the aggression she plays with, she could get a win if the draw is generous, it feels like, at the U.S. Open.
2: Yeah, she could. She could. Yeah. you. Sometimes you're not sure which Peyton Stearns is going to show up. But I, I do want to say you guys talked a lot about who was the man in college tennis. There's no question who the woman in college tennis was this year. She it, last year as well, though, she only, you know, she lost in the second round of the individuals. But, you know, she was a freshman then. I mean, for for what she's done um this year is it it's just incredible and and should be remembered as one of the great great years of, of any women's college tennis player getting the first title ever for your school um you know getting back to back winning something that you've always wanted to do um Yeah, she was, she was just fantastic. And, and I look forward to, to hearing um, whether she's going to turn pro, whether she's going to come back, I'm sure everybody's really interested in that. Um, And then, you know, how she's going to play all year, but she's going to get wild cards now she's going to she's she's raised her profile considerably. So um, hopefully she'll be able to take advantage of it.
0: And I believe Haley Carter is going to be working with her this summer as part of the USTA program and to your point. She can enter the Stevie stratosphere. Now, it sucks that loss to Navarro was in the quarterfinals because hitting 70 wins is going to be a bit tougher, and it, I don't think we're going to get her for all four years. But, again, she loses to Connie Ma in the regular season, avenges that loss, and beats her in straight sets in the in the final. And, again, other than the loss to Navarro, two losses during the season. That's it. Was dominant over Lane Sleeth. And that dominance, you know, having that as a foundation is what helps Texas flip the rivalry and ultimately get the victory, not to be disrespectful to Lane Sleeth. Again, that's a credit to the woman of the season, as you pointed out, Peyton Stearns, who, yeah, was exceptional. And again, as you look at some of the other individuals, to watch what Connie Ma did to Fiona Crawley in that semifinal, Crawley just could not hurt her. Over uh, over the course of that match and in crunch time, Ma was able to track down that extra ball. Same thing against Ranchelli, uh in that quarterfinal when it was crunch time in that uh, in the tiebreaker on just how smooth she is in and out of quarters. Now you could tell she struggled with the Stearns pace, but uh, she was exceptional, Jay. And I'm curious as you look, uh, you know, not only Stearns and and I'm curious your thoughts on Stearns and Ma, but some of the other performers who stood out to you.
1: Yeah, I think one thing on Stearns is I appreciated how honest she was about last year, really struggling in the individuals, right? And that turnaround being so tough. Everyone talks about if you make it far in the team to come back in the individuals. And she was very vocal about, I am training for that moment of winning the team and then turning right back around and entering an individual competition. And so it's incredibly difficult feat to pull off and and she did it. And it was a outstanding season. And one as Colette points out that we'll remember for a very long time, in terms of other players i mean connie ma has been been excellent all season right she's still a freshman she had a little bit of a dip towards the end of that the season but thought she played excellent in illinois i mean to beat connie ma you have to play excellent consistently excellent tennis and then if you're not able to do that you're not going to beat her so a huge credit to her for making the final as a freshman um and you know, interesting to see Fiona Crawley make it this far playing down at number four for North Carolina it just kind of shows you the depth that North Carolina had this season, as well as Carson Tangillig, who was at five and who also made a deep run. So um, overall, I mean, just a huge credit to Peyton Stearns. Um, she's definitely the story of the
0: individuals. Yeah, And you took the names out of my mouth. I had multiple coaches say if they just played Crawley at one, does this team do better? and you can make an argument the answer is yes and to see the athleticism of tan gillig just like again wait till she learns how to play tennis because it's just so smooth and her aggression and how she moves forward and just you can i she's not someone who played a ton of tournaments or has a ton of match experience under her belt and you could just see her get better and better and again that semi-final loss while it stings could not have been better for her and you know not to disrespect riley tran who i know was coming off of covid at this ncaa tournament but that's your four and five and like yes you lose Mora but you bring in a Meyer, you bring in an Abby Forbes holy crap like god is that team gonna be good next season and yeah the other two I would ask and this gets us into our who would we have liked to see at the final site I, if I again final. I'm hoping I'm going to play 40 more hours, 48 more hours at least of tennis in my life. I'd even venture to say 100. If I have to give up the back end 100 hours of my life to have Savannah Brodus' overhead for the rest of it, I'm doing it. Like, I just am. Brodus looked as good as any player to me. She beats Crawley, who was the eventual semifinalist, in three sets, indoors, in the dual match, watching her, watching Janice Chen. Like they both should have been in the individual singles tournament. Colette. Are there any other players you would have liked to see compete in that draw?
2: Zalanova. Yeah. Number three for Texas. She should have been in that. Um, Or who was five?
0: Uh, The lefty. Yeah. Zamaripa. Oh my God. Was she smooth by the end of things?
2: I know. I love watching her play. So (laughs) I would love to have seen her make, make that, um, uh, it's top 64 or whatever it is a little bit um, I don't want to go on too big of a tangent here but I, I do think players get stereotyped in by even by their own coaches when they're put down in the lineup and I you know I, I believe in North Carolina's case um, you could draw the top five at least out of a hat and you would have no, no difference in in results. Based on that, I just don't think that there is that much difference of the one in five or six of the of the very best teams. They're they're all pretty much interchangeable. And maybe we make too much of it when somebody who's plays four or five. Maybe it's not. It's not, you know, (laughs) maybe it's on the coaches for where they're playing them. Yeah. Fair
0: argument. Jay, any players you would like to see in the women's singles draw?
1: No, you named it. I mean, Janice Chen, semi-finalist last year, not being in the draw this year was probably the biggest blemish for me. And then obviously Savannah Brodus in particular, once you saw Fiona Crawley make her run. Um, but, you know, hopefully those two are able to play more in the fall, get some results, and surely they'll be playing higher up in the lineup next season. So looking forward to seeing them in the draw.
0: Let me throw one more at you. Emma Staker deserved to be. In yeah, no,
2: th- she she's another one. Yeah, that- c- she could play. She could play, two. It doesn't make that much just difference. Throw
0: her in there. And I've never seen her lose. So, like, <laughs> yeah. you can't prove to me otherwise that she would have. Um, right. I think she earned that. Right. It's knock them off when they lose on the women's doubles note, just to put a debo on this. You got to feel good for Simon Earnshaw NC State to be hovering around, again, NCAA semifinals of the team event last year. Players in the quarterfinals of singles and doubles. They quarterfinaled the team event last year. But, you know, again, same deal. They get a singles player into the quarterfinals. And now Jada Daniel, Nell Miller, who's inside and backhand is just an inspiration to all of us who don't like hitting forehands. I mean, he talks about the system over and over again. We talked about NC States, the importance of the doubles point to them, how them keep getting those 1-0 leads ensured that every match they played was a no bit worse than a 4-3 loss. Like they were just in every match. Jay to see that manifest itself in a doubles title. All due respect to Eden Richardson, who's clearly one of the five best, if not the best doubles tennis uh, college tennis player we've had in the past 5 years and we'll get to her maybe in a little bit uh different category later. You got to feel good for the Wolfpack and Daniel, you know, again, the Jada Daniel family who have been so committed to college tennis. They're at every match she plays. It was awesome to to see them win the title.
1: I think you're right. I think validation is a great word. It's a validation for the program. It's a validation for the system that they play in doubles. Which should
0: be validated. Like, I, I, I you're absolutely right. This is a validation, deservedly so.
1: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um. So, you know, nothing yeah. else to add there.
0: Any other doubles teams you would have I, – I felt it was a, just tough ending for Tatiana Makarova. She deserved better than, you know, not even making one final or one semifinal in either of the events. Um, that was disappointing. I would have liked to see her and Goldsmith do a bit better. Shout out to Oklahoma State's duo. Did not have the most power, but Miyamoto and Rio just kind of stuck around. And then, you know, again, I'm missing a – oh, and then Chen and Brodus – for all their time, you know, again, number two doubles, number one doubles, they end up in the semifinals. They were exceptional. Any final doubles thoughts on the women's side, Colette?
2: No, I I agree. It was, it was good doubles. And I was happy to see um, a, a really good match in the semifinals between Pepperdine and North Carolina state. Um, That was some, some big hitting and, and, you know, looked like the doubles that, that you see, Um, you know, in a 60 K it was, it was good stuff.
0: Yeah. All right. We're going to throw some of these in superlatives as we wrap here on the, Oh, you know what? No, we're not going to do that. We'll save that as we go to the superlatives a bit later, but leave that pause in West off. I want the listeners to hear me think through it. That's how excited I am. Let's switch gears to the men's side. You were men's singles champion. In three sets, Ben Shelton comes from a set down in both the semifinals where 5-all, deuce point, falls on his ass, ends up making the drop shot. Hopefully you've all seen it by now. Gets the net cord winner ultimately on match point to clinch in what was a fantastic match against Adam Walton. Knocks off uh, August Holmgren coming back from a set down to win in three in the final as well indoors outdoors all-american champ you know was the number one single uh, number one player in the country from start to finish we talked about the opportunity for him to be the guy this season he emerges as the guy at the end of the year again I'm going to start here with you Colette Another player who just feels like... I mean, last year, he has breakpoint chances to go up on Botek Sculp 5-4 in the third. And if he does that, you know, Van-A-Sin, Sculp makes the second week of the U.S. Open. He's top 50 now. Ben won a futures title last year. He beats Christian Harrison comfortably in his first round match in Little Rock, which we're not even talking about because the three of us are like, yeah, you know, again, it feels like, okay, here's what I'll say. And guess what? We're having Ben Shelton come on the Cracked Interviews podcast next week. I will ask him this question bluntly. If he's back in college next season, it's because he didn't play enough tournaments over the next six months. If he plays enough tournaments, I am convinced he will be top 150, Colette. And like at that point, you just probably can't come back to school. Now, I know that's a strong take, and I'm a fan of Ben's. And again, that's why we're fortunate to get to have him on the show, as he's been so kind to us here at Cracked Rackets. Am I crazy here? Like I I just feel like it's so easy for him at this level. If he play, and it just feels like he'll be fine at the pros as well.
2: I don't think you're crazy. Uh and I think they left a he and his father left a little bit of wiggle room, uh should he really, you know, have some stunning results, but I he's 19. I and you know, that's that's I understand being a little protective of somebody because he's, he's a very big guy and very strong and looks much older than he really is. I I do think um, the expectations for him to, you know, turn pro and, and take his lumps in the next couple of years are there. But I, you know, I just, I, I you're not wrong. I I just it would not surprise me to see him back in school playing a lot of pro events, but it wouldn't surprise me.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I guess I'll frame it to you. What would be more surprising to you, Jay, if he makes the second round of the U.S. Open or if he's back in Florida gear next year? (laughs)
1: Um. I mean, neither would be that surprising to me. I could see him making the second round and still being in Florida gear next year. I mean, I think what we don't discuss often enough is the lifestyle that changes when you decide to make that transition to the pro tour. And as Colette mentioned, Ben is still 19, clearly enjoying and thriving in the collegiate environment in his hometown. You know, I don't know if there's a rush to go out there on the pro tour and he can spend from now until the end of the year playing pro events, seeing what that's like, doing the grind. And it's not exactly like he, you know, totally dominated the the singles matches. I think for him, it's very similar to what we've seen with Peyton Stearns in terms of making that jump of being. In match in match out from game to game, you know, being focused and being disciplined there. And I think that's still something to be worked on. So neither would surprise me. Um, Obviously, as a college tennis fan, I hope to see him back. And if he's back in the part time capacity, I think that makes sense as well.
0: I understand what you're saying, but where I would disagree with you is he had an ability to turn it on in a way I've only seen the best ever do. So I go back to the 2020 National Indoors when Blumberg was just crushing everyone at the number one single spot. And it was just like, this guy is playing a different sport than everyone else. Now, you're right. There are times when Ben... The errors will pile up. He'll get a little sloppy, but when he needed to turn it on against Walton, when he needed to turn it on against Holmgren, when he needed to take that first set against Rhodesh, when he they needed him at the SEC Championship or, you know, again, against Tennessee or against Kentucky, various points of the year, Virginia at the indoors, he came through for them. And it's just that ability to turn it on. When you hit that level in college, go play pros and go see how you're doing this fall. And obviously, he'll get the chance to do that with wild cards and opportunities probably by his ranking uh, throughout the course of the next six months. The question is, if he gets to top 150, can you come back at that point? And I get being protective. You're right, to each their own. That said, the weapons are so clear his slice serve out wide on the ad side just belongs on the pro tour. When he lands that you lose. And when you have one of those weapons, you know, again, the athleticism, the size he has just fits a modern profile of a player. He's a lefty as well. I, It's impossible to have anything but rave reviews for Ben because everyone else was playing well. Holmgren was playing well. Walton was playing so well and we'll get to best matches. Walton Diallo, spoiler. That's my answer. Um, you know, it was a really high quality of play. And yet, despite that, Ben was still the clear cut favorite above the field. And I just, when, when you just don't get that feeling very often. Like, again, I saw Petros being able to hit that gear. That's always the one I turned to in 2019, where it's just like, nah, like, I'm going to win now. Just like, okay, we're done with this. Like, this match is over. I have decided to win. And Ben can do that now. And when you can do that in college, it's just like, how valuable is it? With that said... And obviously, if you guys have any more th- thoughts, feel free to add to it. Uh, but player you would have liked to see compete in the individuals. Now, we're talking about this on the men's side because the answer to the question is Patrick Maloney. I mean, the guy lost, what, three matches all year long? Him and 6-0, uh 6-1 win over eventual NCAA doubles champions Harper and Ciamara. And they're not in the doubles draw. That was probably the more criminal offense. I'll just start with you, Colette. Who are other players? I mean, again— this award goes to Patrick Maloney. But if we were to say a non Patrick Maloney category, I suppose there might be some other options. I,
2: I really didn't have as many um, on the men's side as I, as I did on on the women's side. Um,
0: yeah. It's tough. Like maybe Geller just for one last hurrah, by yeah, the I end, thought he was about playing him. at that level. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean the Andrade who played against Ryan Getz, maybe, um, Gianni Ross, just on principle. Yeah. <laughs> Any, anyone else you'd throw out there, Jay?
1: Gianni was going to be my pick. I thought he played excellent throughout the team Hurry competition. On. Hurry on, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. both of those um, clearly demonstrate the level of the team competition.
0: And this gets uh, me to my. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Colette.
2: Yeah, I was going to say Micah Braswell, but
0: uh, oh, uh, another good yeah. one. If he was healthy, or obviously Elliot, if he's healthy, and by the right. end of the year, no, no yeah. doubt, Elliot would have been there. My stupid rule change that will never happen. And it honestly should be called, you know how there's like the, I mean, you guys, I don't. you don't strike me as the biggest NBA fans, but there are different cap exceptions and rules named after players. This would be called the James Trotter rule. You should be able to substitute your players in the NCAA tournament draws. So for instance, if you're Ty Tucker and you see Cannon Kingsley's playing Riffus and James Trotter's playing Tadias Paralek, you get to say we're not doing this like it's for the sake of the draw for everyone's health we're making a switch here and we'll sacrifice trotter and i get michael woodson would be like no but sorry coach woodson there need to be losers for all of us to be winners um and i just think that it's the stupidest thing in the rule but like competitive balance I know you got to beat everyone to be the champion eventually but there were just like some little things and again that's where Shelton deserves all the credit like from Styler first round all the way through there were no breaks in Ben Shelton's draw and he consistently came through but Jay I mean again I guess final thoughts on any names any other people go to you
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, Colette and I actually spoke about a rule not too dissimilar, but it was on the doubles side, right? And when we think about creating doubles teams, they're creating teams to win a point, which is three matches. They're not necessarily creating the very best doubles team. And so maybe doing something where it's like, okay, you know, team X, you've gotten a team into the draw, who's playing, right? Um, That would be, that I would find more interesting because then you could really get every school's absolute best um, doubles, double team. I think that's a, a less stupid version of something that you're coming up
0: with. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, way. I think that's a good way of phrasing it. But again, like Maloney and BD, come on, they yeah. literally six, one. And again, with that in mind, let's get into some of the extracurriculars and we're going to go out of order here a bit from the outline, but let's talk about best matches of the tournament team, singles, doubles, etc. Let's start on the women's side. I'll start with you, Jay. Give me your best team match.
1: Uh, Oklahoma versus Texas A and M. Colette,
2: yeah, that w- that was mine as well. And then I'll, I'll segue into the the best. Uh, I di- I wasn't on site until the finals, so I want to give the caveat that I'm watching this stuff on on, on the live stream. But the the mat. The match between um, Staker and Morales was unbelievable. I mean, you you were tweeting about it like nonstop. This is the best, this is the best. (laughs) And I'm like, yes, Alex, you're right. It is, it was, it was incredible tennis. They were both hitting hard. They were both trying to win points. No one was double faulting. The errors were very, very, very limited. It was great, great tennis, considering that the whole entire match was on the line.
0: And, Jay, we both heard Steger made like three unforced errors in that yeah. final set. It was just exceptional. That's a great choice. For me, it's Pepperdine, North Carolina, because that just set the tone. Where it was like, oh, we're already doing this? Okay, it's just going to be a 4-3 day where everything's close. Everything's coming down to three sets. Again, just battles everywhere. That match, defi- where it was just like, okay, we are, like, this, it's on. Let's, let's dance. And so that's the team match to me that just got everything going. Singles-wise, oh, man, Connie Ma, Fiona Crawley. Just because I've never been, like, again, to see a freshman, to see Connie Ma play the way that she did, move the ball around the court, Crawley pushed her. That was a physical match. It's probably my favorite women's singles match. what's it, Are you going Staker Morales? Yes, lock it in, Colette.
2: <laughs> well, I no, I didn't. Since I didn't see that live, live, yeah. I hate to say that, but I didn't see any um, matches. I mean, obviously, the one you know, the Rencelli match with with Navarro, but it, it was, was so, so windy. Win, windy that day that it was really hard to, you know, they weren't. Neither of them could really play their game. I, I think obviously. Shelley did a better job of it, you know, in the crunch time, her depth was better. And and she was just able to to negotiate, you know, all of the emotional stuff that had to be around, given what she was about to do. But uh, that was the most memorable match but, that I saw. But of course, it wasn't. A match that i would you know recommend anybody watch on youtube or anything like <laughs> that so i don't really have I, you know i don't i don't really i don't recall really seeing one of that of the quality of, of staker and morales in the individual tournament but again there's 12 matches going out at the same time so there probably was one and i just didn't see it
1: jay the one I would add, maybe not for quality, but certainly for drama and intrigue was Sarah Hamner versus Lisa Czar Ooh. in the individual tournament. That was an absolute war. <laughs> and just the uh, the disparity in their mannerisms, um, that one I was I was super locked into.
0: Very good call. Doubles match, anything in particular? I it's the final was pretty damn good to be honest, but I, Colette referenced it earlier. I think it has to be NC state Pepperdine, right. Colette.
2: Yeah. That, that was the best one I saw
0: Jay. Yeah, I would go with that. I also thought that the Crawley
1: Scotty late night win in the first round, just for like the, the drama
0: um, over Ohio state was a, was a good one. Very good call. All right. Men's side team match. (sighs) There are a couple good ones. I mean, there are a lot of blowouts at the end. I, Can this also be both the best match and the most disappointing match in Kentucky, Ohio State? Because I was so stunned as it was happening, but I mean, to see Kentucky play the way they did, it was just magic. I mean, Virginia in the final was magic as well. There's no denying that. That was the best match any team probably played all season. From drama start to finish, Kentucky, Ohio State's the one where I'll look back at this tournament and just say, again, what happened? Like, Ohio State wins the doubles point, and they lost that way. For
1: drama, you're going Kentucky-Ohio State?
0: Yeah, because again, it was stunning. Like, the the, the air was sucked out of the Atkins Tennis Center.
1: Yeah, which... Is not the definition of drama in my mind, but it's certainly it certainly shocking. Uh, I think drama has to be Tennessee Baylor. Oh, yeah. duh! I mean, yeah, that was duh. by far the most dramatic match duh. with
0: the. Boytan, it was also really good with Boyton 5-3, and
1: then Mitsui, Mitsui with Mitsui-ing the clinch, it up. Yeah, the, you know the shirtless dog pile. I mean, there was a lot going on in that match.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good call. I think that's the obvious one. Singles Colette. I. I. I mean, I'm. Curious what you, I mean, I assume that's where you're going team because I can't believe yes. I forgot that one. And by the way, shout out to ECU, Kentucky, 4-3, Kentucky, same deal, one through four. Um, and you look at the teams or the singles, who would you go with?
2: Oh, um, the best singles match I saw was uh, Ben Shelton versus Adam Walton. You may yeah. have heard of that match. <laughs>
0: I Once or twice. That one was pretty good. I'd go Walton, but I think the Diallo match was better. Like that quarterfinal outdoors to play as well as they both were. What was it? Seven, five or seven, six in the third to Walton. I mean, it's just kind of Adam Walton in a nutshell, Jay. That match was spectacular.
1: Yeah, that was one I hit circled as well. I thought, you know, Walton had an incredible tournament, right? We're talking about both the Tennessee uh, team match and then his run in the tournament and great win there uh, over Diallo. That was
0: definitely up there. Yeah, Adam Walden again going to be the probably the most underrated player of these past five year stretch in college tennis history, and will obviously. I,
2: I have an, an honorable mention Please. that uh, no one saw, even John left. First sets: I,
0: Kingsley, Riffis, Styler, Shelton, simultaneous. That was a great forty minutes.
2: Yeah, it was, but Eduardo Nava and uh, Hannah yes. Stewart. Was tremendous. It was indoors when everybody else had gone outside and it was, you know, seven, six in the third. And Stewart was up four one in the tiebreaker serving and he cramped. And I mean, it was just so much drama. It was it was incredible. Yeah. It, it was the tennis wasn't the quality that it was in the Walton Shelton match. But it, for the drama, it was right up there. Well, in
0: terms of the highest quality I saw all week, it was the men's doubles final. Harper Ciamara versus Cash and Wotzel. The tennis was outstanding. I've done a lot of papooing of Ohio State here on this podcast. Wotzel and Cash may not have won the Triple Crown. They came one match away. That's as good of a doubles team as we will see in college tennis history. And Robert Cash's hands are just laughable. Like the guy, if you hit it to his backhand, doesn't matter how hard you hit it, he's going to make that half volley or that reflex volley back in play. And the single best moment of his tournament and the best display of hands was him grabbing the racket out of Mate Votzel's hand before Wotzel tomahawked that bad boy up at us in the broadcast booth after that doubles (laughs) final completed. But let me be clear. They were a third set breaker away and they had a 3-0 lead in the third set from capturing the Triple Crown. That team was so good all year long and they kept it up throughout the dual match season. They lost like six matches in total of the season. I mean, they were just, again, watching Wotzel – bash forehands, watching them when they were two up at the net, how fearless they were, how aggressive they were. They just epitomized what makes college tennis doubles so enjoyable, but as did Harper and Ciamara. And again, to watch Cleve Harper be on the precipice of being broken in that four-all or five-all, four-all service game, I believe, in the second set, they hold, they break, they win the third set breaker. It literally went from, oh my God, Ohio State's going to win the Triple Crown to, holy sh**, like... Harper and C.M.R. just won. And it was just – that's just, to me, that might have been the best match of the entire week.
2: Yeah, that it, it was a great match. And and, I, and to talk further about Robert Cash, just think what he could do if he had two knees. I mean, he <laughs> exactly. was – how, how low he could get on volleys, how, how well he could – you know, he he could play even better if he were actually healthy, which he is not. And you were never quite sure um in the Ohio State lineup if somebody is genuinely injured or just in there as a placeholder. But he, he was never. I don't think he, he was leap. ever going to play he, yeah,
0: yeah, he couldn't leap off of his left leg. Like you could tell on the serve.
2: Yeah, he had ice the whole time. He had an embrace the whole time. The guy's hurting. And to play that quality of tennis, it, it, it was incredible.
0: Yeah. Now,
1: Jay, anything to add there? Well, just that uh, Votzel and Cash were almost out in the first round against Ole Miss and Reynolds and Engelhart, and I thought that was an incredible comeback for them. Uh, I got to watch a good amount of that, and they played – they were they were down big, and they had their backs against the wall, and so for them to come back and then carry that momentum all the way to the final, you know, a really incredible collegiate double season, ones that – We don't really see often anymore.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They were the team to watch. All right, flip side, and we've alluded to it, most disappointing, and we can do these a little bit quicker. We are going to go over the hour mark, but not by much. Not by much, I promise. Um, All right, most disappointing team result. I think we agree on the men's side. It probably has to be Ohio State. On the women's side, Colette, who do you go with? I have my answer. I think Jay knows who I'm going to answer as well.
2: Hmm. No, let, go ahead. I to don't the peanut even, I, gallery?
0: Jay, what am I going to say? Well, I mean, you're going to say Texas A&M. I do. See, <laughs> you just know me. You get yeah. Me. That's who I'm going to go with. I think the case is obvious. They, sh- they should have is never the word you can say against Oklahoma. They had that match. It was right there. And your roll ankle, like, again, I wanted to see that team play more. Top 10 teams. I'm so devastated it didn't happen. Anyways, Jay, who's your pick?
1: I was disappointed in NC State. Part- okay. To lose that doubles point, um, particularly after winning the the NCAA doubles title, uh, that was disappointing for them. I thought they had a real shot there to beat Duke.
0: Fair Singles, men's, women's. Jay, who are your picks? I mean, women's has to be Navarro, obviously. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, that to me is pretty clear. Um, on the men's side, I think Colette will agree with this one, but it's probably Boyton. Uh, in the fashion that he lost, obviously, I mean, he lost a Diallo who had a great tournament, both team and individuals, but the manner in which he did, it was not very impressive. And the manner in which he also lost the team match against Tennessee, also not very impressive. Overall, team singles, disappointing for Boiton.
0: Colette?
2: Um, actually, that. Th- thank you for re- reminding me of that, Jay, but I... <laughs> I was going to say um, He That mm, match th- with Ferry, that was not good. That was <laughs> extremely disappointing. I was looking forward to a real, really good match, and that one never, never eventuated. It was really too bad. Uh, for me,
0: God, I just keep bringing this up. I'm not. It wasn't a disappointing performance. I am most disappointed we didn't get to see Cannon in a quarterfinal or a semifinal. Mm-hmm. And then he has to draw Riffis after drawing Blumberg the year before. Now again, you're gonna eventually have to win that match, but to see it happen so soon, when his teammate's yeah. playing next to him against Teddy Perelak, who's awesome, but like that was just disappointing for tennis fans everywhere. I mean. Yeah, I, I think you guys nailed it pretty clearly on the single side. You know, maybe I, – I really don't think there's anyone else. Again, maybe – I see, I can't say Boyton because it was Diallo. And, like, that will be one of my takeaways as we move on here. You know, again, to some of these other categories we'll talk about most likely to be the next Cam Nori or make the big jumps. I think Diallo has to fall in that category. But some fun superlatives to just rapid-fire through quickly. Best uniforms. This isn't even a question. This is just an opportunity for us to all say the Miami women's uniforms, you just win. Like, congratulations, (laughs) the 305, the city, the colors. It's just delightful, Jay.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, They stuck out in a very good way amongst all the other uniforms.
0: I am also currently wearing an Arkansas long sleeve. Shout out to the Arkansas coaching staff for hooking us up. It is remarkably comfortable. Like, I will be repping this even in the warm weather because, A, I look great in red. B, I get to say go hogs. C, it's just comfortable. Uh, are we missing anyone other than Miami, Colette? Is that the best uniform in college tennis history? It's got to be, on, like, probably the best oh, since yeah. we got to see Brad Gilbert's thighs in
2: 1982. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I agree. That, that- – just incredible, um, yeah. amazing! And shout out to Adidas. They're an Adidas school. We, you need to give credit to the company that does that for for a tennis team.
0: I'll throw another one out there. The Ohio State black uniforms are exceptional. I just, I really like the sharp black with the red con. It, it's, a good look. I mean, some of the there, there are a lot of good ones. There are a lot of good ones out there, but those are the ones that stick out to me. All right, now we get to the fun. Favorite overheard comment that you received. And I'll start with you, Colette. Give me the juice you overheard. Something just something, something delightful.
2: Well, it wasn't that juicy, but um, I after sitting um, in behind the chain link fence for as long as I could stand it. Um, I I heard a coach who I I will not, uh, who will remain nameless, who was watching one of his players and said to um, the assistant coach or a fan or somebody that was sitting next to him, this is the worst viewing in college (laughs) town."
0: I agree. There was some not, I mean, it was the fence. It's looking through the fence. I think people were just so frustrated by that, Colette
2: it's i could not i personally i was lucky that i had a credential and i could go out and stand or sit in the bleachers between um you know the three courts on either side but i i could only take about an hour of watching through the fence and i just got crazy
0: yeah now i will say again complimented them before shout out to the illinois production team was such a smooth production by the end of the individuals and by the team event as well being able to go court to court and what they were able to do for us in media to make our experience easier to cover this event and you know again Yes, all of our semifinals, quarterfinals, et cetera, moved indoors. It's not like we were there till 4 a.m. They were done at a fairly reasonable hour. I thought, other than that first day, they made the pretty quick decisions. Hey, let's go indoors. Let's try to time things out properly. That said, yeah, I mean it's tough to watch the college tennis through a fence. Certainly, um, that's why we go sit up in the media hub. Uh, but with that said, Jay, any anything you'd add? Uh, give me give me some juice. You heard or anything you'd add to this as well? Obviously. Well, I'll
1: just say my depth perception still hasn't recovered from watching <laughs> through a fence for that long. Um, but actually, that was one that I, I had um, I had written down. That was definitely a consistent theme, I would say. Um, I mean, the most notable thing for me was just the Cam Moran news kind of like breaking across the ground um, like one or two days before I think it was officially announced and just the, the chatter and the intrigue of what that looked like. Um, that was probably the most interesting. And then everything else was probably things Colette told me. So those will stay (laughs) uh, between us.
0: Yeah, I'll say this. I was saying I had heard a rumor. I I don't know. I was going to say, can I share that? Okay, I had heard a rumor about a coach. This coach will know who they are if they listen to this. I had heard a rumor that a coach was jumping ship, or not jumping ship, but looking around, and it was a surprising coach that they were taking an interview somewhere else and looking around within 24 hours of me starting to talk about that to try and find out if it was real that coach called me and called me to the principal's office and was like this is not true stop telling people this was very kind in in that person and I'm not going to say male or female's tone of voice about you know again it explained to me why I was incorrect, but I got called to the principal's office. That is never fun. And (laughs) I'm pretty sure I know who ratted me out. Um, But nevertheless, that's a conversation for a different time. Appreciate all the coaches who took the time to chat with us. We'll try not to share too many rumors. I hope we haven't. I don't think I gave away who that coach was, but they know who they were. And by the way, it was a very fine exchange. There was no ill beans between us, Um, but it was delightful. All right. As we look big picture, Cam Norrie, Jennifer Brady, are there that quality of players right now amongst us in college tennis? Let's start on the men's side. The obvious one is Ben. The player I would add to that conversation first and foremost is Gab Diallo because the size, the fluidity, the weapons, it's all there. His rise in level is what propelled Kentucky to that final. Him ultimately falling to Montez in the fashion he did felt like the nail in the coffin uh, for their chances in that final. I could see another jump from gab diallo next season those are two guys shelton diallo who jump out to me right away obviously adrian's a guy who will always have those sorts of weapons if i were to make a final five i'd go dystonic and then i'd go kingsley those would be the five i turn to right now i'll make you go first jay if you were to look at the five most likely to be the next cam nori who would you pick
1: yeah, I mean, I think that list, I would probably replace one of Kingsley or Dostanich with um, Monday from Tennessee. No, that's a good call. I don't think I don't think he had a great tournament, obviously losing um, to, to Montez and the individuals, but the upside is clearly there. I don't think he made the sophomore jump of some of these players, but um, that's someone that you
0: could see in a year or two really developing into a, an elite player. It's a very good name to add to the list. Six, five lefty, never a bad thing in tennis, Colette.
2: Yeah, I, I I agree with all that, though I do want to put the caveat that that there's nobody that's, I, I don't see, ooh, maybe I'm going out onto a limb here, but I've always been told to to um, bet People. the negative yeah. on yeah. this, um, the glass half empty in the uh, cracked rackets parlance, <laughs> is that nobody's going to be Camp Nori, nobody's going to make top 10 from this this group. See,
0: That's 2000s Colette talking, and that's the sort of perspective that maybe that's why I'm so glass half full, because I'd be like, no, like, I'm telling you, Colette, Um, And and, but I'm very high on show. Okay,
2: I'll ask you. you. Okay, go ahead. Is there a slam finalist like Jennifer Brady in this group?
0: Do I think – well, Emma's so smooth – like – we were all there for, or we were all there. Jay, you and I were there for the Stearns match. That was, and Stearns did not play well. But Emma just kind of was like, Hah. like, all right, that's cute. Watch this. And just sped things up and played at her speed and just made it look so easy and was not disturbed at all by the Stearns forehand. Now that said, what are the obvious weapons for her? I don't know. And that's why it's a little bit tougher. I think the Stearns forehand is always going to work. I think there are some players like a Shavathapan whose side, you know, again, who can just crank things up and has the weapons at times. And, you know, you see a Connie Ma who's so smooth. I think there are a bunch of top 100 players in the mix. Do I see a top 10 player on the women's side? No. Will I ride with Ben Shelton will be top 10 take that I've offered many a times until for the next 15 years. Yeah, I feel just fine about it. I was also 19 as a college sophomore. So again, it's all about me, as you both know. <laughs> um, and I do think Ben has those sorts of weapons. Adrian can hit the cover off of the ball. Now again, I just don't think there's enough plan B, C, D in him right now to project it the same way you do with Shelton where you just see the entire array, uh, you know, spectrum of tools in his arsenal. I think I think Ben's the guy. I think he's going to do it. Lefty, too. Just, there's a well, lot to I, like Well, I do
2: want to point out that none of us, and I I know you'll agree with this. If the three of us would have met after Baylor tw- 2015, nobody would be saying Cam Noring.
0: Well, that's where I disagree because I – no, 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 no. I, and this coach knows who they are, and he'll remain nameless. I'll give away the gender. But he – came up to me and said that same thing. He said, if you're asking me Shelton Shapovalov right now, I will take Shelton. And he gave me the 10-minute bullet points of why. And I actually think I did the rant about that after the NCAA final about that coach talking through the bullet points and why I, had who had been poo-pooing Shelton, was wrong and realized how wrong I was because to see an 18-year-old just with the weapons he has, that's what I realized. And like, if you look at my list, Sheedek may be better than Dastonic right now, then Kingsley right now, then Diallo right now. But they have the weapons, the athleticism, and enough tennis IQ that I think they're going to get there. And I just – I see the – you know, the more college tennis you watch, the more you're like, what are the weapons? And, you know – What
2: are Cam Norrie's weapons?
0: Right. <laughs> but it's his physicality and just how well he moves the ball. So, like, but- that's, that's the argument for Canon, in my opinion, is, like, let him put some more muscle on his body – and I could see it.
2: Well, I'm just saying that, that he was not that impressive in college. Wasn't he?
0: He was number one in the country. For a while. For a while. Yeah.
1: I mean, (laughs) come on, Groska, no one thought he would (laughs) make top 10. Oh, that's fair. And, and yes, he has become like, now his weapons are his physicality, but like, I mean,
0: but isn't that why Ben flashes even more upside? Because you see the weapons all ra- already and there's still that room for him to grow physically. Like, that's to me why I think there's a case there.
2: Well, n- I, nobody we all love Ben Shelton. Nobody's denying that we think he has a great opportunity. It's yeah. just I think you, how hard it is to get there um, when it's not obvious. I think that's the point.
1: Yeah. And if it was as straightforward to say, like, I feel better about Ben Shelton in his college career right now, making a top 10 and I did Cam Nori then therefore Ben Shelton going to make it, that would be great. Cause I think that is true, but it's, it's, there's so many factors. I think the reality is, is like that Baylor, I remember Jen Brady at that same tournament, right? Like I didn't think she'd make a grand slam final. So yeah, we can prognosticate on who has the highest upside. I think we agree on those players, Um, and
0: I hope they all make the top 10 right and we'll just have to see (laughs) uh, what happens here's what I'm saying is I have eyes and revelation in case people didn't know Um, I also have hair which a lot of people learned in champagne Um, and I have seen the players who have gone through the college ranks and the level they hit now Petros has had some injury issues and that's why he's not too top 200, but the guys I've seen at Ben's level, Nuno, who's top 200 already, give Blumberg my hips and shoulders, and I think he'd be in the top 200 already as well, but just, again, they're there's, it's not a long list. There's four or five guys who have been at that level. I think Torp, who has been in the top 200, was at that level by the end of college where they could just, they were at a different gear. And typically, when you're at a different gear compared to the rest of a college field, you're a top 200 player. Now, with the presupposition, shout out to big words, that this year's field is deeper and better than your average college, play, than your average college field, I value Ben's success that much more. And that's why, again, last half full it's easy to make a case for someone I completely understand what is the more likely scenario that he doesn't make the top 10 but if anyone's gonna do it it's this it's it's again it's the guy who in sets two and three against both Walton and and uh, against Holmgren literally from the skin of his ass was like nah I, like I'm gonna win this point and was able to do it and was able to find it, it was divine intervention like it just feels like it's all breaking right for Shelton. I'm going to keep riding that wave. Now on that topic, flip side, doubles players. Any standouts in particular who you think, oh, this is someone who could be the next Joe Salisbury or Desiree Krewitz or Haley Carter or, you know, all these college tennis players out there having success right now? I'll start with you, Colette. Anyone jump out to you?
2: Uh, Robert Cash has a career in in uh, professional doubles, and if, if he if he can get his knee back where it belongs, and I I think he can. I mean, I saw I remember seeing um, shout out to me as you would say. <laughs> ah yes,
1: uh, yes. <laughs> clip it, John less Pierce
2: off. <laughs> um, John Pierce playing, um playing after he had transferred from Middle Tennessee to Baylor and seeing his um volleys and saying whoa this guy might be might be able to do something on the doubles tour and he has and i actually was very fond of joe salisbury's volleys too when he was at memphis so i you don't see a lot of great volleyers um i mean you see a lot of competent ones you see a lot of ones um but, but the ones that are they're truly special at that particular skill, and doubles is more than that, but um, it certainly helps to have that skill to start with. Um, I would definitely say Robert Cash has that skill.
0: Can I throw some other names at you, Jay? Sure. Cleve Harper. I think mm-hmm. Harper, Ciamara, and Votzel Cash were the same team. It was the same team playing against one another. And I swear to God, you could throw Votzel Cash on the ATP Tour right now. Points-wise, it would be tough. If you put them in ATP events, they will eventually earn victories and be a top 100 team. Votzel has the weapons. Cash has the quickness, the hands. Again, how well they move forward. Their shamelessness in terms of strategizing around some of their weaknesses. It's just a really successful doubles team. I would put Harper on that list. I mean, I'm trying to think of some of the double standouts we saw throughout the course of the week. I wouldn't put anyone from Kentucky on that list except for maybe Diallo. Um, I mean, no one for Virginia, sorry. And no one for Michigan. I'm like, I'm going team by team on the men's side. On the women's side, I mean, I think there are a bunch of players who are in the mix. Give me Nell Miller's hand. Miller and Daniel just in general, how aggressive they are. Richardson, how well she sees the shapes and the angles on the court savannah brodus tomorrow i think will be a top 100 wta player if she started her pro career like i think there are a lot of them on the women's side as well jay any names i'm missing
1: yeah i would throw in a few texas names i'd throw in kylie yeah. collins sure who i think is is an excellent doubles player and the zamaripas i yes. think um oftentimes particularly on court one there allura was one of the The best doubles player on the court in many of those matches just the the instincts that they have i'm not sure you can teach those and obviously the the hands the movement around the net so i was really impressed there as well yeah absolutely there are a lot of good ones anyone
0: else you'd add colette
2: no i that's a good call though she allura was outstanding throughout the entire there couldn't have been a more deserving most outstanding player in the team of it than she was
0: yeah I agree with you and again when you lose one to no I think unfortunately Peyton Stearns was just disqualified with that said I got one more list and then we can get into some rumors break some news and get you all out of here um, and I said we'd go only a little bit over whoopsies uh, but it is the season finale with that said I have my little brother's list of superlatives from watching from afar in Champagne, and I promised him if he put it together I would read them here on on the show. I have to say, pretty good list. It's slants men-centric. That's inevitable going to happen. Don't worry, folks. I continue to work on him. But here's the list of things that he would take away after watching the two weeks in Champagne. He starts with the Andre Styler serve. I don't think that's a bad selection either. He then... Mo- <laughs> I was thinking, should I read some of these? I forgot what some of them were. He says Shelton's movement. Um, not a bad call. He says Draxel's energy which would be a big perk for him because talk about lethargic Nicholas. Like we call him slouch on the couch with Nick was his bar mitzvah theme. Um, Cleve Harper's ability to be a psychopath when necessary. I think if you watched enough in Champagne, you understand that Cleve can turn that lever on and off when he needs to. August Holmgren's hair, big hit amongst the docents on the grounds. Colette made a motion as if to agree. (laughs) Yeah, he gets the best hair award. Barbotzer's practice schedule, which to those who talk to the UVA team, roughly once a week plus matches, I think that would per- work perfectly for Nicholas Gruskin. Patrick Maloney's second set celebration, which I'm not going to mimic, but those that were there know exactly what I'm talking about there. <laughs> he says Riffis's law school resume because I think that's a pretty good argument, NCAA champion. And then his last one is Andrew Fenty's ability to wear two different color shoes and still look stylish. Pretty good list from Nicholas Gruskin for a first contribution there. There are some others I left off. That's the editing process, but again, <laughs> good contributions from Nicholas Gruskin, and again, those are the broader takeaways from Champagne, at least on the court. Now, there are plenty of off-the-court things, and we're going to do these quickly, although I will reserve the right to bring you back on if you're both bored, because we can talk about these as they unfold over the next month. Let's go quickly through from some of the coaching hirings, and again, we'll save some of the other topics I had for later on here in the summer as we have some time. We'll start off with, again, the big, one of the first big dominoes off the board, LSU men. Ultimately end up hiring Danny Bryan, uh, who obviously has ties to the LSU program. Now, it sounds like Chris Simpson is going to be named his assistant coach as well. Still no announcement on the women's side. This, you know, for what it's worth, Brett Foreman, shout out SEMTA from our area. MSU alum, but a guy my grade in, from Michigan. We make it big. Uh, SEMTA class of 2013. We're in there. Let me just tell you, we're out there. Um, what your thoughts on this hire, class Does this surprise you?
2: Um, no, I don't think so. Um, I he wouldn't have sprung to mind first, um, but I, I can see a new, you know, not a new AD, but but somebody who he wasn't uh, working under. When he was at LSU, um, being interested in having an LSU guy uh, coach the team.
0: Yeah, of course, you look for Danny Bryan, who was at Wichita State for six seasons. And, you know, prior to that, as you mentioned, was an assistant coach at LSU, was uh, there for eight seasons under Jeff Brown. And, you know, again... Uh, I believe also was a player, of course, at LSU. So has those sorts of ties. Now we had heard some names, you know, Jimmy Borendame was floating around as well. Plenty of people were interested in this job. And that was one of my takeaways as well. SEC jobs, jobs where, you know, the football money is going to be constant. You know, the resources will always be there. Those jobs are easier to fill than say the Michigan States, the Purdue's of the world, where you're not entirely sure about the funding. And there's a reason those jobs are still open Jay, the big shocker thus far, it's not Matt Roberts. It's Jay Udwada coming back to his alma mater to go coach the Arkansas men's tennis team. Now, I will not get into the mechanics of it all. The most open rumor floating around Champagne was that Matt Roberts was going to go take his alma mater Arkansas job. And having heard what I heard, that it was not false. I am very confident that Matt Roberts pursued the job Ultimately, they go with Udwada, uh, Jay. This That was the first shocker to me.
1: Yeah, that was a huge shock to me because like you, i Matt I've Roberts, heard, by the way, the
0: current Mississippi State men's coach, for those who don't know.
1: Yeah, similar background with Danny Bryan in terms of played at um, Arkansas. He's from Arkansas, um, would be going back to his alma mater. So I was really surprised to see this, um, particularly given the success he's had at Mississippi State. Um, Uduada coming in from Oklahoma state. Uh, yeah. this was this was a shock. I didn't see this coming. Everyone that I had chatted with was said, yeah, it's a done deal. Needs to sign on the dotted line. Um, so this one was uh, truly a, a surprise.
0: Yeah. i had also heard again that with him going there, Andy Jackson was maybe heading back to Mississippi state, obviously not the case uh, any longer. This shock. You could obviously Jay at Oklahoma state. Was the interim coach leaves the program now back in college tennis uh, at his alma mater as well?
2: Yeah, I was I was surprised because um, I didn't understand the circumstances of him leaving Oklahoma State. So I, you know, I I didn't anticipate that he would be back in college coaching so quickly. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And again, some of the other names and there's some assistance. Some of the open jobs still. Washington, which it sounds like Raheem is going to get, but still waiting for that official announcement. Michigan State still open on the men's side. Purdue still open on the men's side. San Diego open on the women's side. I mean, the Michigan State job's fascinating because on paper, you think good football good basketball yet they don't fully fund like how good is that job what's the upside is purdue actually the higher upside job they've got a good indoor facility good outdoor facility they're fine recruiting internationally in ways michigan state is not you know again that's a fascinating one the clemson assistant job i think is really good that job is open and certainly as some assistants have left there will be new dominoes that open um, I guess I'll end with you, Colette. Any, uh, Matt Clorid of Florida was another one we had heard. That one is official. And Clora, of course, former USTA coach. We know he can coach tennis. Can he recruit? Can he replicate what Tanner Stump was doing? That's the question and the key to sustaining this Florida success. Any final coaching thoughts, Collette?
2: Uh, Yeah, I I did want to point out that Justin Butch, who was on court with um, Peyton Stearns throughout as as the volunteer assistant at the Texas women's, is looking for an assistance job. So I think he probably raised his profile pretty, pretty well after I I went to Texas happened.
0: I think both of them, Butch, Austin, Rapp, both Texas volunteers would not shock me at all to see them get assistant jobs. There are other names floating around. I mean, I I could list a lot of them, Um, but. Yeah, uh, and again, don't text Parsa. You all know where to find me. I'm <laughs> way more fun of a conversation than he is, and then it makes this podcast that much more better when we're that much more informed. Uh, Jay, any final things?
1: No, um, I know uh, Matt Clore was looking to um, – get back into college tennis. I know he had been um, interviewing for some jobs earlier. I think probably wanted to stay closer to home in Florida. Um, So I thought this made a lot of sense. Um, But you're right. I mean, it's one thing to develop. It's another thing to recruit. He can clearly develop um, and we'll see how uh, the recruiting goes because Florida will certainly need it giving the turnover that they have uh, with their upcoming roster. Absolutely.
0: Well, with that said, let's break some news to end today's show. We got two nuggets for all of you listeners. One of them confirmed via the GOAT, Colette Lewis, who chose this platform of all platforms to <laughs> share this news. That's why we love her folks, Colette. Well, first of all, West Off, give me that breaking news sound effect. Colette, hit us with the news.
2: I understand that next year when the division 1 division 2 and division 3 tournaments are all in Lake Nona at the USTA national campus there will be a day between the team event and the first day first round of the individual event there's some
0: never- applause
2: <laughs> this is probably a function of the fact that the D3 team final will be that day. And so they want to give some uh, more exposure to D3 and not be upstaged by D1 starting. But I think that's great news and hopefully um, it's something that they, that will work so well and be so appreciated <laughs> that it will continue going forward.
0: Tell you what, that last night of the team event with all the teams in town, all the players in town, that is going to be a party in <laughs> Orlando, someone, a boxy park or whatever it's called. Book it now. Cause it is going to be bumping. Jay, that's good decision, isn't it? Yeah.
1: That's a great decision. I'm super happy to hear that. It's been the bane of this tournament for so long to turn back around. We've been floating ideas to try and mitigate some of those circumstances. I think this makes a ton of sense. Um, I love the idea of the D3 showcase in between and um, i sure the players will really appreciate it, particularly those who make it deep in the team.
0: Yeah. Here's one more tease for all of you as we head towards the summer and we'll talk about it more. And it's not official news, but I'm 92% sure, which means we bring it up on this show. The individuals will be in the fall in 2023. Not this next season, because everything's going to be happening in Orlando. But we talk about keeping that day off in between the two events. We may not have to think about it after 2023. I know at the coaches meeting this year, there was a serious push, serious discussion about switching that event to the fall so you don't have to worry about it anymore in the spring. I'm fairly certain it's going to happen. And I think it's going to happen by 2023, Colette.
2: I understand that the NCAA committee is meeting this month uh, to address that issue. Uh, Part of the problem is that there's only one tennis coach on that committee, uh, one division one tennis coach on that committee. So all of the input really has to come through her so um, you know, she's been inundated obviously with, with people with ideas about what's going to be happening or what should happen. The committee of uh, the NCAA will ultimately decide that. Yeah,
0: with that in mind, Jay, final thoughts go to you. Well, we
1: can save this for a later <laughs> podcast, but I would like to come out now against individuals in the fall. Um, I know we batted it around last fall. Um, I think it's not a good idea. I think it will really decrease the luster of the individual tournament. Many more thoughts, but um, I hope that doesn't happen. I hope that the format Colette walked through persists uh,
0: after Orlando next year. Yeah, I mean, you're right this is another 20 minute conversation so we can save it for the next podcast as well but with all that said folks we hope that helps you put a bow on the 2022 college tennis season as i said from the start it wouldn't have been the season it was without the support we've gotten from all of you to bring this college tennis community closer together obviously it started with those zoo tennis blog posts all of those years ago we've turned it into the podcast medium because let's be honest colette doesn't know how to use technology that well (laughs) Uh, but no of course again uh to be graced by the presence of the goat that's the foundation of this show and again to so many of you who took the time to chat with us and you know entertain all of our nonsense throughout the two weeks in champagne we are immensely grateful for that fact and i'm going to say it one more time just so people know i'm serious me not parsa me not Parsa. Come on. If you have something to leak, trust me. I'm the better conversation. With all that said, that'll do it for today's show. Of course, if you're looking for French Open content, crackrackets.com, the place for you. Read the zoo tennis blog each and every day. There's plenty of good stuff coming up, including French Open junior coverage. Bruno, nothing made me happier than the little footnote today of there will not be another four time Grand Slam champion. The last one, Stefan Edberg, Bruno Kuzahara knocked out of slam number two. I almost wanted to be don't forget about philip pelowo like he kind of did it and in the real ones know he actually did it um but yeah uh, again for all that coverage read zoo tennis every day jay are we gonna get no ad no problems out of you in the off season? I think so. I'm right. sure there'll be topics I feel compelled to write about. That's what I like to hear. Who's next year's Oklahoma? That's what I want to read because mm-hmm. you were on them from the start. So um, I'm just going to be listening to you um, moving forward. And again, we'll get into our way too early top fives a little bit later. But with all that said, a shout out as always to Super Producer Daniel Westoff Been a any job to do day in, day out, especially again. We keep them busy across levels. We've got the SoCal Pro Circuit coming up as well. We're locked and loaded here at Cracked Rackets. We hope you stick with us. But with all of that said, for my fantastic co-host today, the GOAT, Colette Lewis, the man, John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Turn from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Guests, what do we tell our listeners? Hey.
2: Hey, great shot. Great
0: shot. There we go. I love it. Cut the clip, and we will see you all next time. Thank you, both of you.